Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thanks for this chance we get to gather. Thank you that uh, we have so much to look forward to, so much to anticipate, and so much to enjoy. Thank you that you're a God who cares. I pray for every life in this room. Not, not everyone is there with you. They're not sure about you, not sure about your word or the rules or church or any of that stuff. And, and Lord, we all get that. We've all been there. So I just pray that you would help every soul today that, that's wrestling with you. I pray that you'd help them to get something in place today, a new, a new linchpin, a new a block in place that's going to build a, a healthy, a real, a vibrant, and a practical faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. The Henri faith. That's what I call it, Henri faith. We're just a little bit country around here. So anyway, John, I am so sorry. I was uh, firing up my equipment and I accidentally hit the button. And uh, the panic on your face was worth it, though. I'm not going to lie. I mean, yeah, that's right. That's right. These teachers, they're feisty, man. I tell you what. All right. Uh, we are talking, we're back to the starting point, of course, and, and Steve's already set us up in a conversation about the rules. And uh, today, you know, we've kind of been a few places uh, through this series already. We started with something happened. We're coming back to that in a week or a couple of weeks where we'll be talking about that, that really healthy starting point for your faith, no matter where that you're starting from. Uh, then we talked about that issue we have inside of us. We covered up by saying nobody's perfect, but the truth is it's not that we're not perfect. It's that we, uh, we don't even want to be perfect. We, we kind of just want to do what we want to do. And so we, we addressed where that is and took that a little bit deeper and tried to recognize that reality. Last week we talked about where God started with a guy named Abraham and also how that he starts in the same place with us, a place of trust. And so today we're going to be talking about the role of rules and how that they have a place in all that. This entire series is going to be available on ordinaryfaith.net. It's right in the menu item for as long as we can afford a domain name. Okay. So as long as we can do that, it, it'll be there. So uh, Steve and I are making resources for it. We're going to be adding to it even after the series is done. We'll be adding more next year. That's our intent and plan. Of course, you know how intents and plans go. Sometimes you drop the ball, but that's our, that's our intent. So um, today we're, we're moving into this idea of rules. You see, your faith, it's really important. But what happens for a lot of us, not all of us, is we were given a faith as, as children. We grew up in homes that had a faith, or maybe you didn't even have that much. But it, it, it really isn't relevant to this study whether you had a faith foundation or not. Because when we uh, were children, our parents gave us a faith. They did the best they could. Our church tried to. Our kids' church, our VBSs tried to give us a foundation of faith. But the reality is, is that the faith that you understand and come to terms with as a child sooner or later runs into adulthood head on. It may have started in your, your college biology class. It might have started in just a world that just doesn't make sense in, underneath the truth of that God is a loving and a good God. It may just be your own circumstances, just a series of traumatic and hard things that just cause you to question it. What most people do, some people just straight up walk away from their faith. And, and I've seen it, and maybe I even tried to do it myself. But what most people do is they just ignore it. They, just, they, they kind of categorize it to a place of irrelevance. I call that practical atheism. 
And I think it is a, almost like an infection in Christendom today. And what I mean by that is they have a faith that they call their childhood faith. It's a mooring to bring them back. But they don't actually have any beliefs that affect Monday morning. Their beliefs are out there. They're theological. They're high. But they don't really impact the decisions you make Monday through Saturday. And so this series, what we want to do is we want to take what may have been damaged in your faith and we want to start at a new place. We want to, we don't want to have all the arguments about all the arguments that could be had. I don't know if you know any Christians, but they love to argue. I wish we'd planned that because then that would look like we were smart, but <laughs> that's just how Steve and I relate to each other, actually. But we, we love to argue. And so now I'm, I'm laughing so hard, I can't even think of where I was going to go with that. But anyway. So what we want to do is, is anchor a new starting point, a place not only that you can start from, but also one that you can have conversations with people that don't have faith as well. Maybe your children, their childhood faith has run into the rigors of adulthood. Maybe your friends don't have the same faith background you do. How are we supposed to have good conversations if we don't have some common uh, things that we discuss or some good ideas to begin with. So we've already talked about what happened, the something that happened. That's where we started. Again, we're coming back to that. So don't let go of the thing that happened. We'll come back to it. But today we'll look at where rules are because the chances are good that if you did walk away from your faith, if you did start ignoring your faith, you did it because the rules stunk. Who loves rules in the room? Who loves to make rules in the room? No, not many hands. It's few in the back. We all, we all hate to obey the rules. The front row. I always feel sorry for the front row when I give a question because they're like, what's going on behind me? Do I look bad <laughs> right now? We all love to make rules for other people, but none of us love to obey the rules that have been made. And when it comes to religion, you're not the one who gets to make... No one in religion living today gets to make the rules unless you start your own, which... We won't talk about that, and I really don't think you should try, but anyway. So let's look today, we want to take a minute and just look at the role of rules and how they actually apply. Because when you say the word religion, the idea of rules is probably the first thing that comes to mind, or soon thereafter. Like, what What are the rules? I mean, what's okay? What's not okay? Because every, every did I say every? Every religion has rules, man. Muslims have rules. Jews have rules. Sikhs have rules. Buddhists have rules. You have, the Jews have the Torah. And the Torah has like 613 rules. And then the Jews looked at those 613 rules and said, you know what? That's not enough rules, so let's make thousands more. And that's kind of what we do. Like, what God said isn't enough. Let us describe it for you. So they really did. But I'll stop there. You have the five pillars of Islam, the five precepts of Buddhism. Yeah, the Sikhs have the three duties to perform and the five vices to avoid rules. Catholics. Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand, but any Catholics in the room? Just give me a nod. Be subtle. Lay low. Okay, it's good. Like, I'm in a Protestant church. This is weird. Catholics have lots of rules, you know, lots of rituals, lots of responses, those kind of things. Now, I grew up Baptist, and I'm looking over at the Catholics and going, man, you guys got too many rules. But I'm a Baptist. 
Raised at Baptist. We, got, we have a lot of rules, too. They're just not Catholic rules. They're Baptist rules, okay? And then we were in towns with other churches. We had Congregationalists, Wesleyan, Methodists. Methodists needed more rules where I grew up. Just kidding. That was a joke for the Methodist. Don't get mad. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I used to, I, I love the study of the Reformation. In fact, every October, not every October, many Octobers, I have done a sermon series to just educate people on the Reformation and, and so forth. But it's always been funny to me that the Reformation's about, you know, all these Protestants. They're Protestants because they protest, you know. They're coming out of the Catholic Church because they see no value in the rituals and, and all those kinds of things. And uh, October 31st is actually Reformation Day. It's the day that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis to the church of the door and uh, the door of the church in Wittenberg. And <laughs> I knew you'd say something about that. I don't know how I knew, but anyway. So it's a it's a big deal, you know. But they, they, in his 95 Thesis, was about all the things he disagreed with in Catholic theology are a number of those things. And what's always cracked me up is the Protestants were like, we're getting out of here, and they were trying to reform the church, and they said, no, we're just going to leave. And as soon as they got out, the fight was over justification by grace through faith. As soon as they got out, they started making their own set of rules and their own rituals. So it, what cracks me up, and please don't, if you get offended, this, just get mad at me. Don't get mad at ordinary faith or even Steve. Just get mad at me. What is funny to me is that the Catholics and the Protestants, they do things the same. They just have different branding. And so the rituals are still there. Believe me, I know I served in a church once. This is not funny, but I'm going to tell it anyway. It had a communion table. And on the communion table, it said, in remembrance of me. Now that's about Jesus, right? He said that at the Last Supper in remembrance of Him. Donated by, in memory of, what was His name? Never mind, I better not say that online. Better stop right there. It had an in memory of plaque underneath the in memory of statement of Jesus. And I, I thought, man, I, I'm not sure we're doing this right. But anyway, that's Michael struggling with his past. So, Rules, we like rules, or we don't like rules, whatever it is, but they do tend to fuel a sense of judgment. And after having eight sons, I have determined in my highly uh, scientific approach that the reason we like lots of rules is so that we can make enough rules so that we can break the rules. The point of legalism is to break the rules. That's my theory. And so... uh like it? No, that's what I like. So if you like rules, I'm sorry I just offended you. Okay. So what about rules? If you find yourself agreeing to, abiding by, participating in a set of rules, you have found yourself in some kind of relationship. So we just made up some relationship. This is not scientific. It's not in a book anywhere. We just made this up, Okay to try and clarify some relationships. So, the first relationship you might find yourself in, the first model of relationship, is the family model of relationship. Families have rules. You, If you're a parent or a grandparent, you probably made some rules for your kids. The first one came along, and you realized immediately, we need more rules in this house. Then the second one came along, and they broke all the rules. And then the third one came along, and you just gave up. I'm just kidding. So in families, we have rules. Now, you don't obey the rules to get into the family. Like, your baby is born, enters the world, say, okay, here's the rules, son slash daughter. 
This is what you have to do to be a part of our family. Now, you don't make rules to let people into your family. You make rules because they're in the family. You're trying to protect them. You don't make rules for other people's family. You may have tried. Probably didn't work. Neighbors, kids, stay out of my yard. The older I get, the more I want to say that. I want to I'm, I be that grumpy guy down the road. Don't walk on my grass! But I don't have any grass, so there's that. So the family model. We make rules. But you don't use rules to get in. But the club model... The club model, it would work for your job, obviously works for clubs. That's a model where in order to be a part, you have to obey the rules. The rules get you into the club. And if you don't obey the rules, you get kicked out. Some places you have to sign a contract, a new job. They'll give you the rules. They call them the employee handbook, but it's a bunch of rules that they're going to try and use against you at some point when it's to their advantage, right? But if you don't obey the rules, you can get kicked out. So the rules get you in. So what's religion like? I mean, is religion, is, is faith something? Is it a family model? Is it a club model? Oh, there's one more model, the neighborhood association model. What's that model about? Well, they don't kick you out of the neighborhood because you bought the house. But when you put in the above ground pool and trampoline combo, which would be super cool, you know it would be. All of a sudden, they stop talking to you. They can't run you off, but they can stop talking to you. They can, uh, they can leave nasty notes in your mailbox, and you'll never know who they are. They have tacit rules where you never know what the rules are until you break them. Do you guys work for a company like that? You never know what's right or wrong until you've done something wrong? I'm, I guess I'm working out my own personal issues today. Sorry, I, I thought, <laughs> thought we were on the same page here. So anyway, so this is the model. So what model works, and what model is faith based on well back to the idea that if you find yourselves bound by agreeing to a set of rules you are in some kind of relationship or you wouldn't be there so what kind of relationship is that is it the kind of relationship where you can be disciplined and but you can't get kicked out is it the kind where you can kicked out you can get kicked out and is that how god works is is that what god's waiting to do so when I ask the question like that, when I, when I pose this question of what kind of relationship are you in with God here, feel, you might have a theological thought, you might have some thoughts you think and some feelings you feel. Is God, God wanting to, ready to, anxious to kick you out the first time you mess up the rules? Or does it work in some different way? So that's what we want to tap into today. We're going to look in at the third oldest set of laws in the history, in, in known history, the Ten Commandments. They came about 1,500 years before Jesus, 2,100 years before in Islam, the Ten Commandments. Now, almost everyone knows all Ten Commandments, right? You cannot answer. You can't answer. She does know the Ten Commandments. I don't know. Well, she's telling me about them all the time. Uh, anyway, <laughs> what's one of the Ten Commandments? Shoot, shout one out. Don't covet. What's covet mean? Oh, one other body's stuff. Okay, that's good. Don't covet. That's a good one. What's another one? I heard one. Go ahead. No adultery. That's, that's good. All right. Good deal. Remember the Sabbath. I love nap day. Don't, don't mur murder or don't murder. No, don't. Okay, I'm sorry. I, just, I'm, I rode the short bus to school. All right. Say it. 
What do you say? Don't lie. <laughs> okay, thank you. Honor mom and dad. That's good. Brother Bruce. No other God. You read my outline, didn't you? <laughs> Don't take God's name in vain. Well, I guess this room knows more than two. Did you guys get a diploma when you got out of Sunday school? Is there a ceremony? Yes, sir. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Way to go. Way to go. So let's pick off where we left last week with Abraham before we get into these rules. When Abraham died, not all of God's promises had been accomplished yet. He wanted to be a father. God said, I'm going to make you a nation. But he wasn't a nation when he died, but he was a dad. He was a dad of two sons that are uh, notable. And the, the first is uh, Ishmael. He had through this really raunchy incident with Hagar. And then his son of promise, Isaac. And if you guys love to read the Bible, you can check out Galatians 3 and 4 and let Paul break that down for you. But that's beyond the scope of today. So through, with Sarah, he had a son named Isaac. With Ish, Hagar, he had a son named Ishmael. Islam would come along uh, 600 years after Christ and would claim the line of Ishmael and would build a faith based upon that. But the Jews claim the line of Isaac. So, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob and Esau, twins. So any of your parents of twins know how challenging that is. Then Jacob had 12 sons, which is more than me. So I don't know how he did all that. But he had four wives too, and that's, I don't understand that at all. That is a lot of honeydews. That's a lot of honeydews. <laughs> Those 12 sons ended up in Egypt through the hand of God to spare their lives um, during a famine. And they ended up stuck there for 400 years. You really need to wrap your head around that time frame. That is a long time frame. To put, I don't know if I can put this in perspective. God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. And then he has a son who has some sons who has some sons who end up in slavery, and they begin to have children, and the nation of Israel is growing and expanding under what would eventually become harsh slavery. So you can imagine, well, they didn't have Sunday school, they didn't have synagogue, but they had something that their families were repeating that promise, had to have had. So you can imagine what it would have been like to be in a Jewish Sunday school during the periods of slavery. I mean, not that they had one, but if they did, it'd be like, okay, God told our great, great, great grandpa that he's going to make a mighty nation out of us and bless the whole world. And all the kids would be sitting around going, uh, we're slaves. This doesn't, God made this promise, but our reality is uh, not good. This, I don't like this. You know, you can imagine that scenario that these these uh, Israeli children were growing up under, okay? So there was a conflict between the promises God made to Abraham and the reality that the Israeli children, the Israeli families that were now slaves are experiencing. So I, I just want you to see that for a second. God fulfilled His promise to Abraham in the sense that He made him a father, but He wasn't a nation yet. The nation was growing in this place of slavery. Then we come to this book of the Bible called Exodus. Now, when you hear the word Exodus, is there an English word that pops up that it kind of reminds you of? 
Ex exit, exit, that's exactly right. So that's a great way to remember. By the way, if you're ever looking for the Ten Commandments because you're trying to straighten out your husband, children, wife, friend, whatever, not that you would do that. It's in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Remember that. That's how, that's how you can get back to them, and that's where we'll be here in just a few minutes. So, the book of Exodus is about the big exit. The nation of Israel had been in slavery for 400 years. This guy named Moses, who was a royal screw-up. Literally, he really was a royal screw-up. Okay, And he, he comes and he's going to deliver the nation of Israel. So he's there. They, uh, he comes to Israel. A lot of things happen. Let me not get ahead of my notes here. Okay, I'm not getting ahead of my notes. We'll come back. All right. He comes to, to Israel that's stuck in Egypt in slavery. He starts going before Pharaoh. Nature goes nuts. Plagues, flies, locusts, frogs, water turning into blood. Just all kind, but all at once. And it's all going in Israel's favor. Nine horrible things happen. And Pharaoh, each time they, they happen, he just gets meaner and meaner about it. And he won't let the people go. And so there was something that happened that, um, that brought this about. So in Exodus 20, the Bible tells us in Exodus 20, God comes to the nation of Israel and he begins to announce a relationship. After, after all these slaves had been freed, and I want to come back to that in just a second, but I want to, I want to point out something that he says to them that we need to remember. You know, they had the promises of their great-grandpa, great-great-great, however many great-grandpas, but they didn't have the Bible, they didn't have, they didn't have synagogue, they didn't have Sunday school, none of those kind of things. They just shared them word of mouth. Then Moses shows up, nature goes crazy in their favor, they end up free and at the foot of this mountain, and the first thing God says to them is, I am the Lord your God. That's the first thing he says. Before you get into the Ten Commandments, we always skip, we always get the preambles, the beginnings, you know, we, we think those don't matter. But in this case, the, what's about to happen is based on this simple truth. God says, I am the Lord your God. God's establishing, nah, establishing is not the word. God's clarifying a relationship that exists. I am your God. Your God, okay? How did that start? Well, he's the one who brought them out of Egypt. He's the one who caused nature to go wild. He's the one who stood and withstood through Moses, the Pharaoh that was keeping them oppressed. So he says, I'm the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery, from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Slavery. Did they ask God to rescue them? It does say they cried out for deliverance, but they, they, didn't, they didn't really have any evidence other than what had been told to Abraham so long ago. I mean, to them, it was, it's like a lot of Sunday school stories that you may be familiar with. When life gets hard, you lose touch with them. You wonder about them, or you don't wonder about them. You just try and survive and forget about them. But God shows up, and what did they do for their deliverance? Did they go to war? Did they fight? They did nothing. They did nothing. God took care of all this kind of stuff. So God begins the Ten Commandments with a little trip down memory lane. Three months ago, you were slaves. 
You were oppressed, you were abused, you were used. And then I came, God comes, and God rescued them. They had no hope, they had no God, they had no story, they had no future, no faith, no land. They had nothing. The only thing they had that Abraham had been promised was that they were descendants of Abraham, that he had had a son, Isaac, who had produced this, this line, this heritage. 400 years of slavery, it just sapped the energy out of them. You can only imagine. I mean, look what... Never mind, I'm going to stop right there. Uh, pause. That would be a distraction. And then this miraculous thing happened. Moses comes. Egypt is decimated. And still Pharaoh won't let them go. Nine plagues in. Nine natural disasters that were just supernatural in nature. And Pharaoh still won't let them go. And so God, demonstrating His power, He tells the nation of Israel, I want you guys to get all the yeast out of your house. I want you to eat flat bread. I want you to take a lamb. There's some requirements of what kind of lamb. I want you to kill it. I want you to put the blood of the lamb on your doorposts, both sides and the top. And I want you to, uh, I want you to stay in your house tonight. That was what God told them. That's a very simple explanation of it. The tenth plague comes. And that night, the death angel comes through Egypt. All the firstborn of anything dies. Children, animals, everything. But not in Israel. Because God had told the nation of Israel, said, if you put the blood over your door and on the doorpost, I'll pass over you. That's it. Just have dinner, put the blood from your dinner on the door, and I'll pass over you. Trust me. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for your freedom. Trust me. The whole, As far as we know, the entire nation of Israel did that very thing. And God instituted a ceremony out of that so that they'd always remember, and the Jews called that, the Israelis called that the Passover. So that night God goes through. They trusted God. They did what He said. All the firstborn of everything dies. And the next morning, it's funny because the day before when Moses said to him, hey, be packed to go in the morning. Oh, and by the way, borrow everything you can from your neighbors. Just borrow everything you can. <laughs> Just get it all. And the Egyptians were like, like, they were so ready for them to go. They were throwing jewelry and money at them. Just leave, you know. Have you ever had a guest? Like, never mind, I'm sorry. That's a, me doing the sideline thing there. So the next morning, out of the blue, they're free. They're free. Egypt's in grief. Egypt has lost the, the firstborn of this generation, of all generations that we're living at the moment. But the nation of Israel is free. That is what God is calling back to them to. He's saying, hey, I'm the Lord your God who rescued you. And all I ask you to do is trust me. Dinner, blood over the door, and I'll pass over you. That's it. Trust me. I'm the Lord your God who rescued you. So that's the beginning of the rules. The rules come after God clarifies, articulates something that's already in place. Something that He began with their great-great-great-grandpa, Abraham. A relationship. So, here He is in the nation of Israel. I'm the Lord your God. I rescued you from your land of slavery. Rule number one. You shall have no other gods before me. 
Now, I want you to think for a minute. I'd like you to climb into the shoes of an ancient Israeli. And you just witnessed all this happen. You've just seen nature go nuts in your favor. You've just seen all the firstborn of your enemies and oppressors. You'd watched them all die and you saw them in grief and you walked out in victory. You'd just seen the entire army of Egypt drowned in the Red Sea. You'd seen all of this stuff. And here God speaks to your people and God says, I am your God. Don't have any other gods before me. What do you think you would say to yourself? Uh, duh. Yeah, that's a no-brainer right there. No, what other gods? I mean, he, you could argue that all the plagues attacked a, a, some kind of Egyptian god. And so they'd just seen all these pagan gods just get absolutely humiliated. And so here's God saying, I am your God. And so God is using the Ten Commandments not as a way to begin a relationship with Israel. He began the relationship with Israel with Abraham. Their great, great, great grandpa, or however many greats. And now he comes and he rescues them from slavery. And he, he begins his Ten Commandments with this statement of relationship I am the Lord your God. And now we see that God's giving rules not to start a relationship, but because the relationship already exists. The rules are not to redeem people, save people. The rules are for people who have already been saved. Those who have already been redeemed. We don't start with the rules. We start with the trust. A meal and blood on the door. Trust me that I'll pass over you. The nation of Israel trusted. And in that moment of trust, just like their great-grandfather, One act of trust placed them inside a relationship with God. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So when you start wrestling with faith, you have to remember that relationship precedes rules. This is so important because so many people are trying to obey their way. They're trying to do right to get right. And it doesn't work. It's actually frustrating. Because of that mistake or problem, we always know we need to do better. We always live under the weight of trying to do better. But with God, relationship precedes rules. And that relationship was initiated by a simple act of trust. Did, did Israel, did they, did they get it right from then on? Oh yeah, we're God's people, Ten Commandments, we're down, we got this. Is that how that went down? If you know the story, you know they were a train wreck. They did not get it right. They messed up a lot. And then God would come and He would use discipline on them, not to cause them pain, but to bring them home. This is kind of like that song, The Hotel California. You can check out, but you can never leave. Is that how that goes? In relationship with God, he's, the, the point of discipline is not to cause you pain, it's to help you find your way home. Right. And so there's this relationship that God's established. And, and you could, the, the Bible records all kinds of stories about their ex, their, their mistakes, their failures, their exile, their return, and all of these kinds of things. All of it began with a simple act of trust that started with Abraham that happened in the day of the Passover as well, 
I just want you to see that just, this is just how God works. This idea that I do something and God does something for me, this idea that I can somehow buy stuff from God with obedience, with some weird faith, if I just believe hard enough, because that works so well, this idea is not how God does things. That idea came from the world around you, not the world you're going to. Does that make sense? So, the rules do have a place. God gives rules to those who are in a relationship, not as a condition to get in the relationship. Now, it makes you wonder, and this is what I'd wonder if I were you, as we've kind of worked through this series, looked at these different ideas, Okay, did God just like Abraham? Was Abraham just like a favorite? God looked at him and said, that's, you know, he's a cool dude. I think I want to hang out with him. Did he just like Israel? Like, oh, those are really nice people. (laughs) I'm sorry. I've read their story. They were not nice people. Okay. You might be wondering like, okay, so God did this for a guy and for this, this little tiny nation of Israel. Does that include me? I mean, what does that even have to do with me? Maybe God just loved Abraham more than He loved everybody else. Maybe maybe with God, for Israel, He declared relationship, but maybe for me, I have to somehow get into the club. I have to somehow obey the rules. But I want to remind you of something that's recorded that Abraham that God said to Abraham. God said to Abraham in Genesis 18, 18, Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations. Everybody say all. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. What God did for Israel wasn't just for Israel. What God did for Abraham wasn't just for for Abraham, when God did it, when God said it, He was scooping you into the group. Okay? So, a prophet later in the Bible records, I will make you, the nation of Israel he's speaking to, a light for the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? The Gentiles are anyone who's not a Jew. Okay? So there's Israel and everybody else. You know what everybody means? Israel and everybody else is Gentiles. And so, I'll make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So, I want you to see that this isn't just for a tiny nation or one guy. In fact, Jesus Christ takes this idea. He came 1,500 years after these Ten Commandments were given. And Jesus says this to His disciples and His followers. He says to all who believed Him, all who trusted Him, that's everyone who trusts Him and accepts Him, He gave the right to become the children of God. See, I want you to see that God wants a relationship with you first. I want you to see that, yes, there are rules, but rules are for family. Rules are for family. Rules are not for outsiders. Rules are not how you get in the door. How you get in the door is that God has said to you, trust me. And your response 
just has to be like Abraham's. Okay. It's, that's the beginning of all of this. This relationship. So, I want to conclude. And what I'm going to do today, worship team, if I can go ahead and get you guys to come forward. I'll be over here behind the prayer banner if I can pray with anyone. If you have some questions I could answer or anything like that while we're singing these last two songs. I'll be over there. I'll be happy to talk to you and help you. I want to encourage you, though, we have some small groups. You can text the word, text the word group to that 307-224-4404 number if you're looking for one, and it'll give you the options of what's available right now. Uh, I want to tee up a conversation. I want you to have a conversation with someone. I'm asking you, have a conversation with someone. So, like, one, what did you think growing up about religion? Which model did you think it was? Family? Club? Maybe neighborhood association? Hopefully not. But... What did you think it was? And what did you learn today that might change that for you? And just have a a discussion. Start there, and there's some more questions on the guide. So let me pray. Father, I thank you for this chance today to talk about your word, your truth, the story of Abraham and his, his, his own messed up life and his messed up children and how that even though all of them were messed up and they were all mistakers and far, far, far worse, you declared yourself their God. You started with a place of relationship. And so I pray for every person in this room that as they struggle with these ideas, that they would wrestle with this one. Does God start with me in a place of relationship or do I have to rule my way in in some way? Please help us to come to terms with these realities. And I pray for those. There may be someone who doesn't even believe the stories I've been talking about today. I pray, Lord, that as they wrestle with these ideas, that you would help them to see what is true. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.